The 2019 Minnesota Twins are donezo. The Vikings kill the Atlanta Falcons and other problems with the NFL. And more on this solo monologue edition of Midweek Minnesota's Sports Ramble, brought to you by Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Midweek Minnesota's Music and Sports Rambles. I'm your host, Eric Ritland. I'm a journalist, songwriter, and commentator from the east side of St. Paul. I'm a writer and editor for Music in Minnesota, have released six albums and ADP since 2001, and founded blog and podcast Rambling On in 2012. I'm very excited to announce my latest project, Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. Be happier, get smarter, and discover with the Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad podcast, which debuts on October 7th. Midweek Minnesota is the local portion of Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad and includes both a music and sports segment. I'm previewing Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad in September by releasing weekly Midweek Minnesota music and sports rambles. The 2019 Minnesota Twins are donezo. Hello and welcome to Midweek Minnesota's Minnesota Sports Ramble. I'm your host, Eric Gritland. Now, why would I say such a thing? Some people might think that, while others might think, thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) Just last week, I was saying, predicting even, that not only would the Twins make the playoffs easily, but that if they played the Yankees in the first round, they'd win. Which I did believe last week, but oh, what a difference a week makes. My goodness. Some things that I didn't consider when making that prediction, or couldn't have known when I made that prediction. One, of course, the biggest thing is Pineda and his 60-game suspension for PEDs. Let me tell you, if he knew that he was getting suspended before the trade deadline, then and then didn't tell the Twins about it, I guess this episode's going to have to be explicit on iTunes. But how him, man, that he would hide that from the organization for his benefit so he wouldn't be suspended for as many games, but then making it so the Twins wouldn't know that they were going to be down basically their their best pitcher in the second half. What a terrible move, if that is the case. We don't know for sure if, like, when he knew or how much he knew. But if he knew at that point, man, what a weasel. (laughs) That notwithstanding, stuff like this is going to happen, and the Twins front office should have had that amount of foresight. You can't predict that a guy is going to be caught taking PEDs, but you have to be prepared for something happening, especially when you don't have a whole lot of depth to begin with. For example, the Astros had two great pitchers going into the trade deadline. They could have just stood pat and said, hey, we have a good number one starter, a good number two starter for the first two games of the playoffs. We can make do. But instead, they went out and got Grinky too. That's what a smart front office does. The Twins front office is smart in some ways, but the fact that they held back on getting a starting pitcher at the end of the deadline when they knew that Barrios historically has done really bad August and after, August and everything after, shout out to uh, the Counting Crows. Odorizzi was good for patches of the season, but was starting a slide towards the All-Star break and especially after. Pineda was still coming off an injury, so I still wouldn't have trusted him 100% even if he was with us the rest of the year. Who knows? Who knew at the time of the trade deadline that he was going to continue being consistent? Perez, who was really strong at the beginning of the year, was already starting to be terrible and has bounced back a little bit, which has been nice, but the best he can be is inconsistent. Knowing that that's the rotation you had to deal with and still not making some sort of splashy move is just such a huge mistake. Now I know that the Red Sox and the Yankees didn't do it either, but so what? 
that wasn't smart either. So the starting rotation is one reason why the 2019 Minnesota Twins are donezo. The second reason, the lineup top to bottom, the Bomba squad, is totally screwed right now. You got Sano... Suno is injured. Gonzalez is injured. Cruz isn't doing great. Buxton is out. And I know I'm... Oh, Kepler is also dealing with injury issues. To go back to Buxton, man, do I wish the Twins would have at least talked to the Mets about trading him for Cindergard. At the time, I was against it, so I'm kind of a fraud. But looking back on it, hindsight is 2020, of course. But if they would have realized, hey, we've asked, we've asked Buxton to maybe... Think about not putting his body as much on the line. Maybe not just want to get on SportsCenter all the time. I feel like SportsCenter has poisoned his brain. When you grow up watching the biggest plays and the best plays being put on SportsCenter and thinking, wow, this is really amazing, and then you have the ability to do that, either consciously or subconsciously, that's what you want. And I feel like that's at least part of the reason why Buxton is okay with putting his body on the line to catch these balls. It might just be because of his fierce, ferocious love of the game, his veracity, but could just as easily be that he wants to get on the highlight reels. There might be at least an amount of that involved as well. And it's just too bad, because if he just dialed it back a little bit, he could be really successful. If he gets hot again, I feel like the Twins should definitely try to find a trade partner for him if they can get something for him, because I feel like as long as he's willing to put his body on the line as much as he is, he's not going to be valuable. Like I said in the podcast last week, it doesn't matter if you have Babe Ruth, if he's going to be on the bench 120 games of the year. Then, of course, there's also the possibility that Buxton is like Paul Molitor, where the first few years Molitor was in the big leagues, he was injured a lot, but then eventually it kind of evened out and he wasn't injured as much and he reached his potential. But honestly, for that gamble, for the gamble that that would actually happen, I would be willing to give him up for something decent. You don't want to give him up for John Ryan Murphy or whoever we got for Aaron Hicks, but if we can get a, a, a really good piece or two for him, if he gets hot again next year, I say pull the trigger as soon as you can. So all of that being said, and keeping in mind that the Twins' bullpen situation still isn't great, and the guys that they've been calling up haven't been doing very well either, I think that any aspiration of the 2019 Twins doing really well is basically gone. Just because they have such a relatively big lead so late in the season, I still think they'll make the playoffs for sure. They'll probably still win the division, but that's only because Cleveland's also hurt. If Cleveland was at 100%, I would predict them to win the division. But I still think the Twins will win the division, and no matter who they play in the first round, I wouldn't be surprised if they got swept. I would predict that they'd get swept. If they won a game, cool. The Wolves won a game in their playoff series two years ago, and they made it too. It would basically be like that. They could win a game, but there's a very small chance they can win a series. Unless Gonzalez and Sano and Kepler and Cruz all get to a place with their health that they can be productive, and Barrios pitches like the thrilling days of yesteryear, and Odorizzi has another streak like he did at one point during the year, and Perez has a streak like he did at one point during the year. There are just way too many ifs at this point, which is really too bad. Towards the middle of the season, I had a tweet that said that I felt like there were going to be documentaries made about this Twins team, because it just seemed like even when their backs were against the wall, they found a way to, if not to win, then at least to make things better than they should be considering the odds that were stacked against them. There were so many what-ifs going into the season that they were able to fire on all cylinders with Cruz doing well, Buxton and Snow seeming to take the next step, Rosario, Kepler, Polanco, all those guys 
fulfilling their promise. They were able to fire on so many of those cylinders that it seemed like it was something of a miracle team. Now I feel like there could still be a documentary made about this team, but instead it would just be about the highs and the lows, the defying expectations, the setting the home run record, but then having to deal with all the hardships, going right up to the Pineda suspension, which just almost seems like it's part of a movie plot or something, you know? So I do feel like the Twins will still win the division, but barely. They could still lose it, but if they make if they make it into the playoffs, which I still predict they will, they're not going to get super far. Of course, I'd be remiss to not mention the Vikings, considering their very impressive victory over the Falcons this last week. Like most games in the NFL in Week 1, it was a really boring game. Unless, of course, you're a fan of the Vikings, then it was super exciting, because they just killed the Falcons in every conceivable way. Offense, defense, special teams, everything. So from a fan perspective, it was really fun. But from a pure pure football perspective, it was really boring, like pretty much every other game. Which, of course, I chalk up to teams not playing their regulars as much in the preseason, which I give Zimmer credit for because I don't think it's a coincidence that the Vikings were one of those teams that actually played their starters about as much as normal teams about as much as teams would normally play them in the past, and it really seemed like the Vikings were ready and the Falcons weren't. It's also possible, very probable actually, that the Falcons just aren't very good. And that mentioning that isn't meant to take anything away from the Vikings, because being able to take advantage of and really pound on teams that aren't very good is a sign of a really good team. Because if you're if you're an okay team, the bad teams might still give you a little bit of a fight. We've seen that a lot with Twins teams in the past, and even Vikings teams in the past. If you can really dominate a bad team, that's at least a foundation of a good team, or at least it's a good sign. It is just one game, though, so it's a small sample size. The thing that amazed me the most was that it didn't seem like the Falcons were prepared for the Vikings to have a run-first philosophy. It didn't seem like they were prepared for the Vikings to go with Dalvin Cook a lot, which makes no sense at all. Did they listen to Minnesota Sports Talk Radio for 15 minutes? For 15 minutes, much less look at any tape from a Zimmer offense. Zimmer loves to run, and when he has a dangerous weapon like Cook, of course that's what he's going to do. It didn't seem like the, the Falcons had game plan for that, which is inconceivably dumb. Next week, the Packers are definitely going to be ready for the run-first offense, and that's going to pose a problem for the Vikings. The question is, can Cousins, Cook, and Thielen, or not Cook, can Cousins, Thielen, and Diggs make up for the fact that the Packers are going to be more focused on Cook than the Falcons were, and have better weapons to stop him with? Are they going to be able to connect and make the passing game something that the Packers' defense has to also concentrate on, or will Cook just be so good that he'll still be able to run? This week will be a really good test of seeing whether A, the Vikings' offense is as good as it looked against the Falcons, and B, if the Packers' defense has taken the next step that supposedly it's taken with the changes that they've made with their defense. I think that's all I have. At this point, it's hard not to predict that the Vikings will beat the Packers, just because the Packers looked kind of lackluster last week, and the Vikings looked really good. Of course, you have to kind of put that in context. Are the Falcons just really bad? If so, maybe the Vikings aren't as good as they looked. I feel like the Packers definitely aren't going to give up as many turnovers as the Falcons did, and the special teams won't dominate as much, I feel like. But another question is, did the Packers look bad against the Bears because the Bears are actually kind of good? Which it would seem they were, since 
it would seem that they are since they won the division last year? Or was it just because they don't really have a lot of talent either? All of that remains to be seen, but it's hard to bet against the Vikings at this point after last week. So my official prediction would probably be, I don't know, Vikings 20, Packers 10. Thank you for listening to this Sports Ramble segment of Midweek Minnesota. For more of my sports commentary, visit at MNSportsRamble on Twitter. We have a really fun, engaged audience on there, and I'd love for you to join the discussion. Also, of course, remember to mark your calendars for Monday, October 7th, the launch of the Eric Ridland Isn't So Bad podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.